anyway, let me dive in. Last week, we started, I said that Paul gives us in Philippians seven different insights, seven different ways that we can actually get to a place where we overcome um, anxiety. And the first thing, three, that we actually covered last week was simply one, guard your relationship with Jesus. That every single thing centers around that. And one of the ways that we said that you can guard your relationship with Jesus is you have to continually renew your view of Jesus. Meaning, who is God? What does he look like to you? Is, is God, when you view him, is he an angry God that you feel like, man, I just feel like when God sees me, when he views me, he's angry at me, he's frustrated at me for my past mistakes. And we, got, we talked about what the scripture says, that God's actually delighted in you. He sings over you. So we've got to renew our view of who God is. The second thing that we talked about is we've got to commit to tr- mature relationships with God's people. So we talked about community, but I think we get it wrong sometimes because when we hear that word community, we hear, well, I just need godly friends, right? I just need godly friends who I can hang out with, who I can share a meal with. But real godly, mature community with other believers is other believers that can look you in the face and say, hey, you're off. I'm, I'm concerned about you. Your marriage is going down the drain. You need to do something about that. But you know how to present it in a certain way where it's not offensive, Because I think there is this way that this dichotomy that we get caught up sometimes is we feel the necessity to tell people the truth. So we just like anybody, you know, somebody like that, or maybe you are that person. You're like, oh, I'm going to tell them the truth right now. And so when it comes out, it comes out as very harsh. Or maybe you're on the uh, the flip side of the spectrum and you say, well, I just want to love people. I just want to love people because, man, this world would just be better if all of us would just love, right? <laughs> if we all just loved each other. So what ends up happening if you fall on that end of the spectrum is you never tell anybody the truth. So you just love them, you love them, and so what you do is you just continue to put up with their sinful actions and you never say anything. And what the scripture actually teaches us, we have to find ourselves somewhere in the middle. You have to speak truth, but you have to do it in love because here's, the, here's, the, here's a fact. If you tell somebody what is true, but you do it out of love, they're not going to hear you. They're not going to listen to you because um, oftentimes the way that you, you don't even realize that sometimes when, maybe when you speak the truth, you have these facial expressions that you give. Um, I'm constantly working on this with my, with my oldest son. He's, he's literally my wife remade. And, 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 and what, I, but what I mean by this is they're, they're incredibly smart. And I'm not just saying this to, to puff them up, but they really are. My, I remember my wife in school, we would do tests and like, I am like studying my butt off to get a C and she would like lay her head down on the desk, take the test, ace it. I'm like, what is wrong with you? How do you do this? Yo girl, let me get that paper. <laughs> um, and Eli is the same way. He is super smart. He can retain things quickly. If you argue with him, you feel like you're arguing with a 30-year-old. And I have to continually tell this to him over and over because we, we talk to him about leading his brothers and his sisters and you know, how to lead them in the correct way. So he's really, really good at telling the truth. He's just really, really bad at doing it in love. <laughs> it's like, mom said, pick up the room. Oh, you're getting a whipping. <laughs> you could probably say that a little bit better, buddy. But oftentimes, it's the same thing for us. If we don't commit to mature relationships with other believers and we don't learn how to tell each other the truth in love, we're not going to ever overcome anxiety. The third thing that we talked about is we've got to cling to our identity in Christ. It's so important to commit to this that you care more about what God says about you than you do what other people say about you. And the truth is you're never going to know that until you get into the word of God and you begin to read it and you begin to study it and you begin to meditate on it and you begin to see, okay, this is truth. 
This is truth because culture will define truth for you. Even in our, our own selves, we can define our own truth sometimes. But our truth comes down, man, what does God's word say about who I really am? That God really does love us even in the midst of our darkest moments, even in the midst of our darkest places, that he is for us. So we cling to that identity. So those were the three, three things that we covered last week. So what I want to do this morning is I want to cover four more, and hopefully this will give you, over the next two weeks, it can give you seven things that you can look at, that you can go back over. You can maybe visit the YouVersion app and just read through some of these things. When you're struggling with anxiety, when you're struggling to believe the lie about the enemy, that you go and you read over these things, you read through the scriptures, and you begin to find that truth in who Christ really says you are, rather than what the world says about you. So before we dive into this, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray that this would not just be another sermon. It would not just be another service. God, it would not just be another opportunity where we come and we sit in the seat. But God, I pray that you would impact us, that you would do something in our hearts. God, I pray that you would compel us to action. God, if it's, maybe if it's just helping us see the error of our ways, God, or maybe it's just helping us see the lies that we're believing, and, and that's the reason that we continually fall into anxiety, God. Whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would set us free this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, so number four, let me just dive right in. And, and let me just say this, each point um, does not make a whole lot of sense until I give the context with it. So I, it's really, really important that, and that's why I got that app for you in those notes, to go back and to read over these things. So number four, if you want to defeat or get to a place where anxiety is not as high on your chart, but you want to get to a place where you're overcoming it. Number four, you've got to learn to put on the mind of Christ. And here's what I mean by this. Oftentimes, anxiety starts with our thoughts. Oftentimes, anxiety starts with our thoughts. And so let me paint a picture for you. Maybe you walk into a situation and it's not that bad, but all of a sudden you have that thought, well, it could turn out to be this way. And then instead of killing that thought right there, instead of clinging to your identity in Christ and in who Christ says you are, you feed on that thought. And then you start thinking about it, and you start thinking about it, and you start thinking about it. And then you get into a group of friends, and maybe they throw off one phrase, they say one word, and you're like, oh my gosh, they're directing it at me. But they're really not. But you take it that way because you've been feeding on this thought, you've been thinking about it. So if we want to overcome anxiety, we've got to put on the mind of Christ. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, we read the first half of this verse over the past two weeks, but I want to read the second half. So the first half says this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. But now watch this. Now he's going to tell us how we get there. Verse 7, it says, If you do that, then you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So let me real quickly break this verse down. Here's what he's saying in the middle of this. He's saying prayer leads to asking the right questions. So if we cultivate a prayer life, this is why it's so important to have conversations with God on a daily basis and we bring our anxiety and we bring our issues and we bring our problems to God, it's going to lead us to begin to ask the right questions rather than continue to contemplate on the wrong thoughts. It also says his peace will lead us to a place that our anxious lives have never understood before. 
Man, how, how amazing would it be if for the, your entire life so far, all the way up into this point, maybe you've dealt with anxiety, but then you read a verse like this, and God's overall intention, he says, I want to give you a peace that you've never experienced before. So how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where we genuinely put on the mind of Christ, where, where, where we live out what this scripture is talking about, where God guards our hearts and he guards our minds and he leads us to a place of peace that we've never experienced before? Before I get to that point, let me tell you what he's actually talking about when he, did, when he says he wants to guard your heart and he wants to guard your mind. In the scripture, our heart refer, uh, refers to our rational control center, meaning who we are. So meaning this. Every time that you walk into a situation, have you ever heard people say this? Well, man, my heart's just not in it. Anybody ever heard people say that? My heart's just not in it. Oftentimes, it's that rational control center, that, that thing that helps us make that, that quick decision, that thing that says, I know I haven't really thought through this, but I feel like this is right. And so sometimes in the middle of anxiety, um, you don't feel like you need to engage and you don't feel like you need to press in. You feel like you need to recoil and run away, Right? And so what the scripture is saying, like God wants to guard and protect your heart in that moment. That in that moment when you feel like I'm rationalizing everything, I'm looking at this situation and I need to self-protect. I need to run. I need to hide. I don't need to be around people. It says God guards your heart in that moment and he begins to speak truth to you and says, I know this is what you feel, but this is what you need to do. If you want to get to the next step, then this is where you're going to have to go. When he talks about our mind, he refers to our mental thoughts in our reflections. So meaning this, when your mind wants to wander, when it wants to drift to a place in overthinking and overanalyzing and creating scenarios that don't even exist, it says in that moment that God wants to speak truth to the lies. That in that moment that God wants to come in and protect your mind. Another way to put it would be this. Remember we talked about vigilance? Vigilance, in, in the very first week, we defined it as simply, it is a God-given motion, emotion, it's a God-given mood that basically God has given us to self-protect ourselves. So vigilance is whenever a mother walks into a room and she looks at her two-year-old and she goes, oh, I know you're up to something. <laughs> she has that feeling, she has that sense. It's when you walk into a crowd of people and you immediately look at another person and you haven't said a word to them yet, but you know they're angry. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? You walk into that crowd, you walk into the room, and you know something is going on. And so what the enemy does to create anxiety is he takes that God-given emotion, that God-given mood of vigilance, and he makes you hyper-vigilant. So now you walk into a crowd, now you walk into a room of people, and you overanalyze everything. So when God says he wants to pr protect our heart and our mind, he wants to take that God-given mood of vigilance. And when you look at a situation and you see arrows and bombs and threats and lies and all these things coming your way, that you can center yourself to a place and you go, you know what? God, help me to have the mind of Christ. Help me to think how you would think in this situation. Help me to guard my heart in this moment. Because here's the truth. It's the only way that you're going to make it out of anxiety. The only way that you're going to make it out of anxiety is getting out of your mind and putting on the mind of Christ. It's, it's the only way that you're going to make it through that. So let me put it this way, and I think that this will help you. In, in order to overcome anxiety, you have to stop seeing through your physical eyes, and you have to start seeing through your spiritual eyes. So our physical eyes, what do we see? 
we see everything that plays out in front of us, right? Every single thing that happens. If we want to learn to put on the mind of Christ, if we want to see things differently, we have to learn to, to see the world through spiritual eyes. Meaning this, when you view your life through physical eyes, you have a temporary perspective. So everything happens in that moment, but when you view life as an eternal, uh, through your spiritual eyes, you view life as through an eternal perspective. You view things a whole lot differently. So let me prove it to you. Even when Paul is in prison, he chose to see things not through his physical eyes, but through his spiritual eyes. So meaning this, he's sitting in prison, he's looking around, I am chained up, I'm in bars, I've got sores all over my body from being beaten. Now, what do you think in that moment, what do you want to feel? Pity for yourself, right? This is terrible. This is the worst of the worst situation. I'm going to die. They're not going to feed me. They're going to beat me. They're going to do all these things. He's, if he chose to look through things through his spiritual eyes, there is no way that he would have gotten out alive. There's no way that he would have been able to accomplish the things for the kingdom of God that he did. Watch this in Philippians 1.14. He chose to view things through the mind of Christ, through his spiritual eyes. Philippians 1.14. He says, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak of God's message without fear. So what is he saying right here? He's saying, I'm in prison, but you know what? I'm going to choose to make the best of this situation. My whole purpose on this life is to tell people about Jesus. So it doesn't matter if I'm in prison or I'm outside there enjoying a good meal with my friends. I'm still going to do what I'm called to do. So, so meaning this, Paul may physically have been in prison, but he chose not to be in prison in his mind. And, and oftentimes that's what happens in anxiety. Remember, oftentimes there are different situations in your life. You can't change the circumstances, but you can change the perspective. You can choose to see things through your spiritual eyes by putting on the mind of Christ rather than your physical circumstances. And oftentimes in the middle of anxiety, here's what we want. We want solutions to never feel that feeling ever again. And the truth is that's probably not going to happen. The truth is the the thing that is going to free us and heal us from that anxiety is beginning to see things differently. This is what I love about Paul. He's constantly beaten, he's constantly in prison, and he never slowed down. As a matter of fact, even when he was in prison, he revved it up. More than half of the New Testament was not written at a coffee shop drinking a cortado. Most of you don't even know what that is, but you should. Most of the New Testament was written in chains. Most of the New Testament was written with sores all over his body. And every letter starts with, man, I am so glad to hear about you. I'm so joyful to be in this situation. I may be in chains, but guess what? Everybody in prison is saved now. (laughs) I've told everybody about Jesus in this place. And and here's the thing. This is what I'm not going to do for you this morning. I'll just be real honest. I'm going to just be brutally honest with you guys this morning, and maybe it's not the message that you want to hear, but I think it's the message that you need to hear. Oftentimes in anxiety, your situations will not change. Physically. Like maybe you're still sick when you walk out of these doors. 
Maybe you still feel terrible when you walk out of these doors. Maybe you go back and you walk out of these doors and you're still in the same job situation. Maybe you walk out of these doors and you're still married to the same person and you still have the same issues that you deal with, right? But you can choose to have a different perspective. You can choose to see things through spiritual eyes and the only way that you do this is by putting on the mind of Christ. And the only way that you put on the mind of Christ is doing all the three things that I said last week. You gotta guard your relationship with Jesus. You gotta commit to mature relationships with other people. And you've gotta cling to your identity in Christ. And when you do those three things, you put on the mind of Christ. It changes your perspective. So Paul makes it crystal clear that anxiety comes from what eyes you choose to view the world through. See, the core sin with anxiety is the, fa- is the failure to trust God. Is the failure that he's going to meet you in the middle of your pain. Is the failure that you don't trust that God's going to come through because maybe you've been dealing with an issue for years and you go, God, you, maybe you just cons- you've succumbed to the issue. This is just going to be my life. This is just what I'm going to deal with. So maybe you can't change the issue, but you can change the perspective. Uh, man, I've shared this story so many times. This is what I love about my dad. My dad's battled with cancer for seven years. Seven years. He's been cancer-free for the the past two. Many of you don't know this. It's actually come back. Um, So he's dealing with it right now, and in actually a few weeks, he's going to be in the hospital for about two weeks, just blasting him with chemotherapy. And you know what I love about it? He's still traveling to Africa. He's still preaching the gospel. He's in church this morning still preaching, still loving Jesus, still loving people. And if you look at him, you would never know that he's still struggling with cancer. And, and, and here's the truth. I'm not, I'm not saying that to puff him up, and I'm not saying that to look at him. Because we can look at people like that and we say, oh, I want your strength. You have to understand one thing about where he's at. It's not his strength. It's Jesus inside of him. And he's choosing to see things through a different perspective. Listen, on our own, we live in a fallen, broken world. We are weak. The body that you live in right now was not built for this earth. Scientists still cannot prove why we die. We decay and we don't know why. And the simple explanation is the gospel because of sin, because things are broken. The body that you and I live in now was not designed for this earth. So there's going to be pain. You're going to get older. You're going to, man, I, when I, I'm, I'm 30 years old now, and I get out of bed sometimes like, what in the world is wrong with my back? <laughs> our, my wife and I, we sit in our living room many times. We're outside in the front yard, and we see our kids, and especially Amelia, who's our four-year-old. I'm telling you, if you could bottle up that energy and sell it, I would be a billionaire. <laughs> that girl has so much energy at like 5 o'clock in the morning when you just, normal people don't have that. Our perspective has got to change. And here's the truth. Here's how you put on the mind of Christ. The most simple way that you can do it. When worry strikes, strike worry out by thinking about the right things. So here's what Philippians 4, 8 says. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Now keep this in mind. Paul's in prison. <laughs> he's in prison while he's writing this. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right 
and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So so here's simply what he's saying. When you are at the lowest of low, and there's nothing that you can change about your circumstances in the middle of your most anxious moments, think about what's true. Meaning this, you have a God that loves you no matter what. Truth meaning this, you have a God that's never going to leave you no matter what. That's the truth. You have to cling to that truth and fix your mind on that truth. In anxiety, what do we do? We ignore the truth. And we look at things through our physical eyes and our own circumstances. Oh my God, there's nothing I can do about this situation. You're right, there is nothing you can do. But you can change your perspective. You can change the eyes and lenses in which you view this world through. This is what made the disciples so powerful. This is what made Jesus so powerful. This is how they were able to flip the world upside down on its heels. Though they were beaten and though they were tortured, though they were murdered, they kept going. Why? Because they saw things through a spiritual perspective. And here's the thing. When you see things through a physical perspective, the reason that you can't see your future, the reason that you feel like you're never going to make it is because you're focusing on the here and now. When you see things through a spiritual eyes, here's what, man, my future is bright because I have a God that is fighting for me and carving trails for me and he loves me and no matter what, I'm going to make it through because he's on my side fighting my battles. Number five, this one's going to be hard, okay? Number five, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. Meaning this, through Philippians, Paul is giving us so many insights to overcome anxiety. Cling to your identity in Christ. Put on the mind of Christ. Have mature relationships with other people. Guard your relationship with Jesus. And then he's going to say, watch this, in Philippians 4.9. It's just like one of those things is Paul's like, oh, by the way, I'm about to drop the mic on all of you. <laughs> Here's what he says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. King James puts it this way. Whatever you have learned or whatever you have received or whatever you have heard from me, just do it. (laughs) You thought Nike was original. They weren't. (laughs) So I would say the same thing to you this morning. Just do it. The only way that you're going to overcome anxiety is practicing what you preach. And here's the problem with many churches today. We grow up in a culture. We grow up in an amen culture. Well, that was good. That was a good sermon. And that was a good weekend. Oh, but by the way, I mean, oh, that was exactly what I needed to hear. But then we walk out of these doors and we do nothing. If you want to overcome anxiety, you have to practice what you preach. You have to get to the place where you look through the scriptures and Paul and Jesus is telling us, man, meditate on what is true. When you're in your deepest, darkest moments, run to community. It can't just be a good thought. It has to be an action. It has to be something that we do. In other words, anxiety feeds on anxiety, meaning avoiding what you fear breeds greater fear. So have you ever put something off? Maybe it's like, <laughs> I remember doing, this is a, it's so dumb. 
remember in high school, when I first got a debit card, I was like, man, I am rich. <laughs> right? It's still working. <laughs> and I remember in, in my mind, I was, as long as I didn't check the account, I was still happy. <laughs> as long as I didn't know the impending doom that was about to happen and all of the overdraft fees that I was about to get, I was okay. But as soon as I checked it, I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Avoiding what you fear breeds greater fear, right? Ever held off from confronting someone and telling somebody the truth? And now you can't even look that person in the eye because you've created a situation that probably doesn't even exist because you've avoided it and anxiety feeds on anxiety and fear breeds on greater fear. So now you don't do anything. Now you've lost a friend over creating a situation that didn't even exist. Now you've lost a relationship over creating a a situation that didn't even exist. Fear breeds on fear. Anxiety breeds on anxiety. Nothing empowers fear more than fleeing a fearful event. And here's the problem. It becomes a habitual practice. The more that you avoid, the more that you retract, it just becomes who you are. Um, The greatest decision that I ever made in my life outside of serving Jesus was marrying my wife. And, um, but that decision would not have been made had I not done a few things. I remember uh, it was 2007, and Claire and I went on a missions trip to South Africa. And so about a few months before, I am trying to find a ring, doing all this stuff, and I find this ring. And um, I am, if, if you've known me long enough, you know that I am the guy that loses everything. <laughs> my keys, my wallet, my phone. I just, I'm, I always leave it there. I'm like, I'm sure I'll come back to that and then forget where I left it. So that's the only thing that I can think of the whole time. And I have this expensive ring. How am I going to bring this to Africa without losing it? And so my aunt is actually coming on the trip with us. So the whole time she wore it. So she, she wore it until that night before. And the night before I asked Claire to marry me, I remember sitting in this horribly uncomfortable African bed that does not have a heater or anything. And the only way that you could heat and take a shower was like by making a fire under this, this, uh, this huge water tank. And you had to t- kind of time it whenever you go to the shower because you wanted to time it when it was warm. And then you'd be in the shower and the fire's roaring and the, hotter, the, the water is like burning hot. And you have shampoo all over you, like, ah! <laughs> as quickly as you can. So I remember I just came out of taking a shower literally in hell. <laughs> laying in my bed with burn marks. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But I'm laying in this bed, and it's freezing cold. And I'm like, man, I really need to get a good night's sleep. I need to get into a good night's sleep. I'm, the big day is tomorrow. And I remember just staring at the ceiling all night, thinking through all these thoughts. What if she doesn't like the proposal? What if, what if I just fumble all over my words? What if I'm like, will you, I, I, I don't know what to say. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And you know what? And it's okay to have those moments. But here's what changes everything about that anxiety that I felt before that came. I still pop the question. In the middle of like, oh my God. And she said yes, and later we get married, and we have kids, and we have a family, and I wouldn't change it for the world, but sometimes the greatest decisions in your life will be riddled with anxiety. And the only way, listen, the only way that you get out of that is by practicing what you preach. 
The only way that you get out of that sometimes is just going, I just, there's nothing I can do other than I just got to do it. I just got to do it. I remember the um, first time I ever had to speak in front of anything, my, my, um, my speech teacher in ninth grade, she tricked me. She literally tricked me. We, we used to have these things in front of our classroom we were, where we would give like these, we'd write these speeches and then we would publicly deliver them before the classroom and I was always fine in front of the classroom. So she said, hey listen, I want you to write a speech. It was for Veterans Day. Whoever has the best speech will give a public speech. And I'm thinking in front of the classroom, right? So we write this speech and you know when you write it, you're like, I'm not gonna win. And I win. And so I'm like, okay, now I gotta deliver this thing publicly. You gotta memorize, you gotta do all this stuff. And literally, the night before, she said, hey, are you ready for your speech? Do you have it memorized? Yes, ma'am, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. She said, you're giving it in front of the whole school. What? Are you kidding me? This is like 800 people. I'm like, no, there's no way. There's no way. I remember, like, I'm sitting side stage going, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, I feel like I'm about to die, you know. And I deliver the speech, and, and... Go figure, God has a sense of humor, and now it's what I do. (laughs) But here's the thing. I would have never embraced the calling that God had on my life if I wouldn't have acted. And oftentimes, it's the same for many of you. The greatest anxiety that you feel in that moment sometimes is only there because it's leading you away from the destiny and calling that God has on your life. The only reason that you feel it is because the enemy sees, man, I know how God's created you, and I never want you to understand your purpose. I definitely don't want you to fulfill your purpose. So what happens? He riddles us with anxiety. He riddles us with fear. He riddles us with worry. So that we can never embrace the calling that God has given us. So here's what I'm saying. Man, we, we come in these doors, we sit in these seats, and we can say amen. We can say that was good. And we can even read the Bible and have our own personal relationships, and maybe a scripture bounces up at you, and you say, man, that was good. I need to hear that in that moment. But are you at a place when you read it that it convicts you so deep that you actually do something about it? And that's the only thing that's ever going to change anything. God gave us the Bible not just so that we could read it, but so that we could live it so that we could read it, so that we could do it. See, at the end of the day, worry, what it does is it draws our eyes inward. It draws our eyes to see ourselves through our physical eyes. Worry causes us to protect ourselves, to build up these walls. And here's the truth, even if you come to a place where God frees you and cures you of anxiety, you will still face anxiety. <laughs> so let me explain what I mean in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. This is Paul speaking. He said, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. So all this means is whether I have nothing or whether I had a lot, I always found joy in any and every circumstances because my perspective was right. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is full of stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the context of that coffee cup verse. 
What is Paul saying? He said, I have been through the worst of the worst of situations where anxiety filled my soul. And I've also been on the other side. And no matter what side I swing on, no matter what season of life I'm in, because my perspective is right, I can do anything through Christ that strengthens me. Paul's not just throwing that verse out there, hey, brother, you can do anything through Christ. He's saying, no, I've lived it. The reason I can say this is because I practice everything that I'm preaching to you. I've been in prison, and I'm still finding joy in Jesus. I've dined in the mansions, and I'm still finding joy with Jesus. Paul says, I can do all things because he continually sees things through his spiritual eyes. He's not saying, I can do all things because my circumstances are ideal. He says, I can do all things simply because Christ is with me. Victory in anxiety is not a nice, neat, linear process. Victory in anxiety is often messy. Victory in anxiety, I think some, sometimes we fall into this idea, oh man, I'm going to hear a sermon, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to do these things, and then week by week, God is just going to make me more and more free. And you know what? Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes you cry in your eyes out in front of a friend, confessing things that you've never wanted to confess in your life, feeling emotions that you've never dealt with because you've suppressed them for so long. It's not a nice, neat, linear process. We're called to be growing Christians, not perfect Christians. And the only way that we grow is to practice. The only way that we grow, the only way that we build up our relationship with Jesus is by practicing. So let me give you an example. Claire's in this self-defense class right now. And um, she's learning all these different moves on how to take people down and, you know, how to protect herself. She, she loves to run, so she goes out and she's learning all these different things. And the other night she got home and she's like, hey, can I practice the chokehold on you? I was like, the what? The choke woman, you ain't choking nothing. <laughs> and, and, but here's the thing, and here's the reason. Did I let her put me in the chokehold? No, I have not yet. And she's still asking for me, you know, I don't know if there's other motives behind that, but... Um, but here's what she says over and over when she learns the move. Hey, can I practice it on you? Because if I don't practice it, I'm going to forget the move. And I want you to listen to what that is saying. If I don't practice, I forget. If I don't practice my relationship with Jesus, then I forget my identity in Jesus. If I don't practice leaning into community, then, man, I forget what authentic, real relationships look like. If I don't practice everything that I'm hearing, then I forget. Without practice, you forget. And what do you forget? You forget that through Christ you can do all things, including facing anxiety and fears. You forget that through Christ you are more than a conqueror and an overcomer. So I put it simply this way. No practice, no victory. No practice, no victory. If we don't get to a place where we practice what we preach, we're never going to see victory on the other side of anxiety. We just won't. We have to put the things that we're hearing, discovering, learning, that the Holy Spirit is convicting us with, we have to put those things into action. And number six, we've got to live wisely in a fallen world. Live wisely in a fallen world. 
And here's what I mean by this. We've got to think about the implications of being physical human beings living in a fallen world with fallen bodies. So here's what I mean by this. We're human, right? And because we're human, we get hungry. We get cold. We get angry. When our house is not set at 66 degrees at night to go to bed, we can't sleep. <laughs> right? This is like the stage in, in my house when, when my wife is pregnant and like everybody, I'm waiting for a penguin to walk out because it's so cold in my house. <laughs> I'm like, hey, buddy, you found the Arctic. Okay, you can live with me. <laughs> it's called my house. But because we're human, what happens? We get hungry. We need sleep. We need exercise. We need hobbies. We need adventure. Because we're humans living in a fallen world, we must wisely take care of our fallen bodies. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not always um, the best at doing this. But I notice, I become more anxious when I don't take care of myself physically. When I have a busy week, when I'm working a lot, and I'm the kind of person that I can, I can work straight through lunch, straight through breakfast, breakfast and lunch, and not eat anything. And, I, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, four o'clock, I'm like, why do I feel like I'm about to die? Because <laughs> I haven't eaten anything. And usually in those moments, when I haven't eaten anything, or I'm not physically taking care of myself, Whenever an anxious moment comes, it begins to affect my body. Often when anxiety comes, the reason it gets more um, flared up and the reason it gets worse is because we're not taking care of ourselves. And here's what many of us don't want to hear today, including myself in some aspects. Whether you want to hear it or not, your physical health is connected to your spiritual health. And your spiritual health is connected to your spiritual health. Oftentimes, however you are physically or however you are spiritually is going to go hand in hand. And let me prove it to you in Romans 8, 21 through 23. It says, The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom. Watch this. From death and decay. So the children, we look forward to the day when we don't have to deal with backaches anymore. <laughs> we look forward to the day when Advil doesn't exist. <laughs> We look forward to the day when you don't have to take Z-Quil or NyQuil just to go to bed. It says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us. So watch this. He's saying, even though we have a spiritual life, we also have a physical body. He said, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Watch this, including the new bodies he's promised us. So what is Romans saying? What is Paul saying in this? He said, man, we long for the day that we don't have to deal with pain and suffering in our physical bodies. We long, women long for the day when you don't have to feel the pain of childbirth anymore. You, <laughs> you, you long for the day when you don't get older and you can't do the things that you could, used to could do. You could one day pick up a hammer and swing it and now you can barely pick up your coffee. Like we long for those days. It's just a natural process that occurs. We long for the day to be released from this body. 
Because for some of us, as we've gotten older, like, man, my mind is sharp, my spiritual life is sharp, I love Jesus, but I just can't do those things anymore because physically I'm not there. And so maybe this point, is, it throws you off a little bit, but I want to tell you this, that God is actually concerned about your physical body. That he actually is concerned about the way that you take care of it, because oftentimes, if you don't take care of yourself physically, then you're not going to have enough energy to get to that place where you need to be spiritually. So you've worked all day and you get home. Do you have any time for your wife, your family, your kids? No, because you're spent. Because physically, you're not where you need to be. Now, it would be a tragedy for me to say that all your anxiety will go away if you just get more spiritual, because it's not the truth. Anxiety has the ability to affect your physical body. Therefore, some of you will need to make physical changes. So here's some of the effects that anxiety has on your body. And this is scientifically proven. It can cause trembling, dizziness, weakness, shortness of breath, excessive perspiration, cold or overheated, numbness, rapid heartbeat, palpitations, chest pains, rapid breathing, hyperventilating. Some of you are like, that was last night. (laughs) Spiritually, our lives are connected with our physical bodies. And there will be a day, one day, when we're released from these bodies and we will feel no more pain and no more suffering. But for now, we're here. We've got to deal with them. We've got to do something about them. Because here's the truth. God wants you in it for the long haul. He wants you to be here for a long time so that he can accomplish his purpose and his work through you. So oftentimes when we ignore the importance of the body, we misunderstand what it means to trust God. So the truth is certain emotions that come from anxiety oftentimes can be treated through physical things. I've, I've literally noticed this. When I was doing it consistently, when, and I say that as past tense, when I was. <laughs> but when I would have a stressful week, or when I was anxious and I would go on a long run, it was gone. I put in that exercise, I did that. It is actually scientifically proven that when you exercise, that it, it releases these endorphins that fight against your anxiety. It's crazy. But here's what you've got to understand. Your physical body is connected to you spiritually because God made your body. And he also knows the things that you need to do so that you can deal with that stress, so that you can deal with those things. Maybe for some of you, it's simply exercising. Maybe for some of you, I don't know if you know this, it's cutting out caffeine in your diet. I've noticed when I'm stressed and when I'm anxious, if I drink coffee, I'm like, oh my God, I, I am like, I'm about to die. My heart's racing, everything's going on. I still remember at 10 years old, I was in, 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 in church and I was lost. I could not find my parents. I'm walking around. I'm like, oh my God, where's my mom? They left me. I remember for some reason I stopped by this Coke machine and I see it. I was like, man, I got four quarters. I'm going to get a Coke real quick. And I put four quarters in and I buy a Surge. Does anybody remember Surge? <laughs> like, I, they, they discontinued that stuff. I remember it was the first time I ever drank any form of energy drink and I literally thought I was going to die. <laughs> I was like, I, this is it. I'm 10 years old and I'm going to die. Thank you, Serge. (laughs) And it was because in that moment, that anxious moment, I had some caffeine, a whole lot of caffeine, and it just amplified what I was feeling in that moment. 
Maybe it's simply you need to just learn to do something that you enjoy. Go read a book, go hiking, go do something. Oftentimes in the middle of anxiety, what we think that we often need is I just need to sleep. I just need to lay down, I just need to do nothing. And let me ask you one question. When you do that, you wake up the same day still having the same thought. Here's what I've learned over and over. I can never get enough sleep. Ever. Like, I'm going to wake up I'm like, that day. Oh, man, my wife let me sleep in. I feel so good today. And I'll wake up the next morning. Oh, my God, I'm so tired. Like, you just, you can never get enough. And it's because Jesus has created and designed other things where we can find rest. It's not just in sleep. Sometimes it is reading a book. Sometimes it's going and having lunch with friends. Like, you don't realize how spiritual that can be sometimes. If you're a people person, man, it's maybe putting on your calendar, on your docket, like, on Friday, I'm going out with my girlfriends. Or me and the guys, we're going to see me, we're doing whatever. You don't realize sometimes how good that is for your soul. At times, dealing with anxiety, here's, here's the big question. Let me back up before I answer that. Oftentimes, the antidote that we feel to overcome anxiety in our physical bodies, well, I'm dealing with all this pressure, I'm dealing with all this stress, I need to suppress that, or I'm not going to be able to function. So what is, what, that comes through narcotics, that comes through alcohol, that comes through all those things. And oftentimes what turned into, this is only going to be an occasional thing, I'm just going to have a glass of wine at dinner, which I don't think is wrong. What does it do? That becomes our well, that becomes our source. So the, it's not just a glass of wine at dinner. <laughs> you know, it, it, all of a sudden it's a, a five glasses of wine because I need to sleep at night. I'm not sleeping, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm so stressed, I need this to calm myself down. And you have to ask yourself in those moments, what am I drawing from? What is my source in the middle of this anxiety? Do I need this wine to cope with life? And oftentimes, if that is the issue, then it's, it's, it reveals something that's broken. It reveals that you're not pulling from Christ. Your source is not coming from Jesus. You're not finding a freedom in Christ. So you look at a substitute, a substitute and say, this is what I need to calm myself down. So here's the big question. I've been asked this question a few times um, through Facebook Messenger and through a few times after here in service. Is it okay if I'm dealing with anxiety to take medicine? Um, and the answer that I'm going to give, I'm going I'm to tell you this. Um, I've sought a ton of counsel on this. I, I have a lady that has done a ton of counseling for us here in the church, and I've, I've talked with her a good bit. So this is not just my opinion, but this is also, she's a Christian counselor, and she sees people that are at the lowest of lows. So here's the short answer. Is it okay to take medicine when you're dealing with anxiety? Yes. Is it okay to stay there? No. So here, here's what I mean by that. If you're taking medicine without any intentions of allowing God to fix your soul, you're never going to get rid of anxiety. So if the medicine is, okay, this is my fix, and you just leave it at that, that can be dangerous. So, but oftentimes, what, what, um, the, this counselor I was talking about, she said sometimes people come in, and they are just so broken, they're so, they can't even hear anything that I have to say, so I give them the medicine so that they can hear what I have to say. I don't think it's wrong in that case. I mean, if your liver is broken, you take a pill for that, you know? If you have heart issues, you take a pill for that. So if your mind has some issues, well, I don't see a problem with it. All I'm saying is this. 
just like with any other disease that you have, like my dad dealing with cancer, what did they do? They light him up with all kind of medication. But the end result is what? To be healed, right? The end result is to not have to deal with that anymore. And here's what the medication is going to do. It's, man, it may help you in that moment. But in that moment, maybe all you take that medication for is just to get you at a place where you can focus, where you can clear your head, you can get around people, and you can hear the truth for the first time. So if you're taking that medicine and, and that is your source that you're drawing from, this is where I want to receive healing from, it probably is not going to give you the results that you need. So here's what would, my suggestion would be, or my prayerful suggestion would be, is that if you are at that place where you have to take something for it, and you need to dive into community as well. You can't take medication without fixing your soul because in the end you're just left in the same situation that you are. You still struggle with worry, you still deal with fear, you still deal with anxiety. And here's the truth. God gave us certain things that we can do. And that's why I say this. I know you probably never heard this in a sermon before of taking care of your physical body. Like God gave us things that we could do. For me, man, when I go out and I, I love camping, when I get out in the woods and I'm just with one of my boys and there's, it's quiet, there's no people around, only trees, like I love it. <laughs> And there's something about it that I'm like, man, this is just, there's something spiritual about it. And maybe for you, it's hunting. Maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's going out to eat with somebody. Whatever it is, find that. Like God's given that to us to be able to deal with some of the pressures and the issues of life. Now, let me offer one more solution, then I'll bring this to a close. Also, if you're dealing with anxiety... What physical and life changes do you need to consider making in order to address your anxiety? So, so here's what I mean by this. If you have a high car note and it's continually stressing you out and giving you anxiety, sell your car. Some people are like, I'm just, man, I'm drowning in debt right now. I have a car note, I have a house, I have this, I have all this. And here's the problem. So many of us are trying to live six-figure lifestyles on a $40,000 budget. And that's why we're so stressed out. You make 40 grand a year, yet you're trying to live a $400,000 a year lifestyle. I want the nice car. I want the nice house. I want to eat out whenever I want. I want to do this whenever I want. I want to buy whenever I want. I want to shop online whenever I want. And then you look at your bills and you're like, I'm so stressed. And oftentimes, it's just looking at the circumstances and going, is my soul worth the $900 car note? And you know what's sad? Oftentimes people go, yep, it is. And here's, here's what we don't even realize. The reason that you can't focus on your marriage, the reason that you treat your kids horribly, and, and here's, it can all be drawn back to maybe you're living in a house that you can't afford. Maybe you're driving a car that you can't afford. The reason you don't have time for your wife is because you have so much time worrying how you're going to keep that car. So here's what this does. Now you have an idolatry problem. Now the car is more important than the marriage. Now the house is more important than the kids. You know what the truth is? What I've learned about my kids? They don't care what kind of car we drive. They don't care what kind of house we live in. Here's what they care about. When dad comes home, is he going to spend time with me? 
on Fridays? Are we going to have family days? Are we going to go to the park? Are we going to eat out? Are we going to do those things? Are we going to spend time? That's all they care about. They don't care about what kind of car. They're like, my dad has a Bentley. Just thought you would know. (laughs) They don't care. They could care less. So listen, I know this is difficult. I know this is not something that we want to hear, but I think it's what we need to hear. So what physical changes in your life do you need to address? And maybe simply by you making a few tweaks, I'm going to sell the car and I'm going to get a car. Maybe it's nice, it works, but it's not as nice. I'm not saying this to to brag on myself or anything, but my wife and I, for our entire marriage, we've always bought a car cash. And so you know what that meant? For the first five years of our marriage and three children, we had one car. Three car seats crammed in the back seat. And, and, and you know why we did that? Because it was just a matter of, man, could we afford the car? No, probably so. But could we do anything else as a family? No, we just couldn't. And we still live that way. We don't make a whole lot of money. We don't do a whole lot of things. But you know what? Because we don't live in a whole bunch of debt, we're able to do things with the family. And if we want to go eat out on Friday, we can. We can take the kids to the trampoline park. We can do those things because we choose not to live a life that we can't afford. And so I just want to admonish you in that, and I just want to encourage you in that. Oftentimes, anxiety, yes, it is spiritual. Yes, there are things where, man, we got to put on the mind of Christ. We've got to practice what we preach, but then sometimes it's just we got to make physical changes. Sometimes we got to look at the possessions. We got to look at the things that we own. We got to look at the things that we're giving our time and our energy to. We've got to make some changes. So that's why I say we've got to live wisely in a fallen world. So here's what that means At the end of the day, your body, my body, was never created to live in this world. And it was actually never created to deal with things like fear and worry and stress and anxiety. It's the reason, man, when some of us get so anxious, it's the reason that we, man, our bodies just feel so weak, our stomachs turn, our headaches happen. Why? Because we live in a broken and fallen world in a body that we weren't created to live in. When sin entered into the foundations of the earth, it broke everything. But here's the good news. That God made a way. That God made a way for you and for me to get free. And oftentimes it's gonna be through the church and oftentimes it's it's simply going to be through people. And sometimes, here's the most difficult part, sometimes God's gonna send you somebody that tells you the truth and you're like, God, can you just send me somebody else because I don't like them. (laughs) Sometimes the vessel in which God uses, you will not like it. You won't like it. The other day, my eight-year-old, convicted the mess out of me. Dad, why are you always on your phone? Shut up, boy. <laughs> but then I walk away from there. I'm like, God, man, if he notices that, then I must be on it too much. You may not like the vessel. You may not use like the instrument that God uses, but man, you need them. 
And the only way that you see it in the right way is if you choose to see things through your spiritual eyes. Man, God sent me this person. However much I don't like them and I don't like the way they presented it and I don't like the way they said it. This was God. I'm going to choose to see things through my spiritual eyes and not the physical eyes. Okay. And we move from there.